0: And so today we're we're gonna we're gonna tell a story that is actually real. Uh, it's it's uh, from the Gospel of John. We're in the 11th chapter here, and uh, this is one of the, probably the one of the most uh, famous accounts of Jesus. Uh, Jesus has done a, a number of amazing things, but uh, this this encounter here, this experience, is probably has to be at probably one of the one of the greatest things that um, he has done. Stories like this, uh, Jesus was very close to a family. Uh, there was a sister named Martha, another sister named Mary, and they had a brother named Lazarus. And word, word comes back to Jesus that Lazarus has died. And uh, actually is sick, actually he's sick. And uh, Martha sends word for Jesus to come. And what John tells us in this account is that uh, Jesus does not come right when the request comes. He waits. And though if you're you're reading this account and you you read it and you hear it, you're like, that's not loving. He should have dropped everything and run over there because he's not too far away. But he waited. And When it was the right time, he told his disciples, hey, it's time for us to go. And the disciples were afraid because uh, there were death threats on Jesus' life. And so where Jesus was going to go, that they were afraid that he was going to be murdered. But Thomas says, hey, there's a great line here in in John 11, the Thomas that we meet at the end of the Gospel of John. There's a a great line here where Thomas says, no, we have to go. And if we're going to die, we will die with you. And so they go, and as Jesus is on his way, Martha comes out and meets him. Before he ever gets to the village, Martha comes out and meets him. And, and, and she said, you know, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died, but now he's dead. And Jesus says uh, to his disciples, the reason that we're going is that, is that we're, we're going to glorify the Father, It's all about the Father. It's all bringing about praise and glory and honor to the Father. And then Martha says, I do believe in the resurrection. I know that my brother will be raised in the last day. And it's at that moment here that that we pick up the story. Jesus says in, in in verse 25, he says these powerful words to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live, and even though they die, that whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews had, who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come alongside her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, "'See how he loved him.'" But some of them said, "'Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man "'have kept this man from dying?' Jesus once more deeply moved, "'came to the tomb. "'It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance.'" Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth over his face and Jesus said to them take off the grave clothes and let him go my friends this is the word of the lord thanks be to god please join me in prayer oh lord we just we just thank you Thank you, Lord, that there is life beyond this world. Thank you that you have conquered death. But we know it in our head. May we believe it in our hearts. May we live it in our minds, in our days. Oh, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Resurrection the power of resurrection (laughs) will fall upon this place that you would use me as your spokesperson to speak in the manner that brings honor and glory to you. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for the righteousness of Jesus. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that I stand here as your son, as an heir, I pray, God, that right now that we would hear what you want us to hear. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. There's this great uh, verse in, in the Bible that we actually share in our, in our Come Alive class. And it says that, that we should be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. That we should be ready and that we should have a reason for the hope that lives within us. Are you ready? Do you have a reason? When I was a, a, a pastor in a different denomination, when we were being prepared and examined for our ordination... We had to stand up before folks. We had to write a, a statement of our faith and make sure it was orthodox and make sure that, you know, that there's one God and that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and all these things. And had to, take it, had to keep it in one page. And, and you had to present it and then you had to defend it as people tried to challenge you and ask you questions. And, uh, and I remember there was this one person that every time someone was being examined, any pastor was being examined, he would stand up and, and, and he would say, please share with me and share with us the hope of following Jesus. Now sadly, some would stumble along. They had the right information. They had all the right knowledge, but, but, but some, some couldn't really Get it out and uh, but some were like it is lit up. And there were some as as you read their statements that that there is this one little line that, that that we have hope as Christians. But but many just Put sort of just the information down. And so it was a time to have a conversation. It was a a time that what he actually believed that as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we should be the people who have the most hope. We should not just be the hopeful folks, we should be filled with hope because of what Jesus has done and what Jesus is about to do and what Jesus is coming back any moment, that we should be filled with hope. And as I look at this text today, it just fills me with so much hope. But the challenge today, especially in our culture, is that that we are actually being refined, that that we are actually having muscles that are are being worked out, the sense of being resilient. I mean, there's some quotes, if you have your message notes, which I passed out, there are a couple of quotes there. And so, what I've tried to do the last several weeks is that if we're going to live with Jesus every day, what, what, what's actually a habit? What is something that we need to embrace? What is something that we need to build? And I actually believe that what we need to build is we need to build a resilient and fearless hope. that no, That's not built upon circumstances or news channels or feelings, but is grounded and the reality of Jesus Christ. That if we're going to live with Jesus every day, that that we need to build and sort of exude this resilient and fearless hope. And I say that we have to move from saying, I hope that God will do this. I hope that, that one day God will do this to the reality, the new reality of this. I know God will. Because God is always faithful to his promises. God has said that that, that he's going to do this. And God is always faithful to his word. I can always trust God. God gives me confidence. To live this day. To share Jesus with others. Because of the work that he did in Christ. That what what God has promise, God fulfills. But some people say that there needs to be a change in the church. And the church is being altered. The church is, is, is being examined. The church is, 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 is changing. How we do church is radically changing before us. And some people say this, uh, Dan White says, that the change needed in the church... It's not going to come from more sermon downloads, that, that, the, that the challenge with Americans is not more information. We got tons of information. The question is, what do we do with that information? We say here at Grace that we want to live out Jesus every day. We want to multiply disciples, That a disciple, someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, on mission with Jesus, and that... And that, as, as Tony Morgan says, that sometimes in church, what we've done is we put all our eggs in a large gathering. But we need to make a shift to smaller gatherings and really helping everyone live out this dynamic life of being declared a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not easy. And you need, that's why we need resilient and fearless hope. We're at this point in the gospel of John, that it's the last sign that John gives us. That when John was putting his gospel together, we read at the end, at the end, well, chapter 20 of John's gospel. He says, listen, there are a lot of things that Jesus did, but I didn't, I didn't include those in this gospel that I was careful. I carefully selected certain things, and I wrote this gospel with one intent, with one purpose, and that one intent, and that one purpose is for you to know that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that he is the promised Messiah, and that anyone who believes in him will have life. And so he organized this gospel with these seven signs, Now I listed them here in the And the notes. And then we start off, and these signs are are, are John's words of sort of miracles. They are actually to to confirm the message of Jesus, to authenticate that Jesus is truly the Son of God, and to incite us uh, to awaken sort of belief in Jesus as the Messiah. And there are seven signs, and we're at the last one today. But the sign of turning water into wine, of cleansing the temple in John chapter 2, healing the royal official son in John 4, healing the lame man in John 5, feeding the multitude in John 6, healing the blind man in John 9, and today raising Lazarus from the dead in John 11. And in most of those signs, when Jesus would do a miracle, and then there would, there would be some discussion, usually with Jesus' disciples, the. The religious leaders, and in the midst of that discussion, there would be a declaration that Jesus would make. And when we look at the seven signs, these are seven things, seven miracles, seven events that John includes strategically in his gospel that points to the person of Jesus to awaken belief in Jesus as the Son of God. And in addition to those seven signs, what's unique to the gospel of John is these seven I am statements Seven statements where Jesus declares who he is. And John is very particular about these I am statements. They sort of hearken back to Exodus 3 where, where Moses is, is having this conversation with a burning bush. We know it's God who's speaking to Moses through this burning bush. And he calls Moses to go up to Pharaoh, right? To be his appointing one and to, what, and to release God's people that are in slavery. As Moses is having this conversation with with God in Exodus 3 and chapter 4, he asks this bold question, well, what is your name? And up until this point, we know that God was referenced as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But Moses said, listen, I need a name. If I'm going to go to Pharaoh, who am I going to say you are? And it's at this moment where God declares his name, I am who I am. That spells out the name Yahweh. And a faithful Jew, as we talked about this several weeks, never, ever utters that name. The holy name of God. And Jesus seven times declares, I am. And John strategically does this to prove the divinity of Jesus. To authenticate that he is the son of God. And that the same God who, who created the world who met Moses at the burning bush is the same God who has come in human form to be our sacrifice so we can have life. And so he includes these seven I am statements. I listed them there for you. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. I'm the light of the world. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd we looked at last week. Today we'll look at the one I am the resurrection and the life. A couple weeks, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 15, I am the true vine. John includes seven signs with seven I am statements. And the number seven we know is the number of completion. That God rested on the seventh day. The day of Sabbath, the day of completion. It's a day that needs to be set apart. That Jesus is the one who is the completed work of God. That God is fully pleased with Christ. The work of Christ is, is, is a finished work, it's a completed work, and more importantly, He's the one who's set apart by God. And so we see here in this passage a number of things that point to that work of Christ. We see in this passage that Martha and Mary believe in Jesus. That through his signs and living with him and walking with him, they truly believe, they have come to faith that Jesus is more than just a human person, that he is the very son of God, that he is the Messiah. He's the one who was sent by God to come and rescue us, to come in to defeat death and to bring life to us. They truly believe that in him there is life but they didn't know what was about to happen. They actually believed that the life would be experienced someday later on. They didn't know their brother was about to experience death and experience not just death, but life from death. And we have this this, this beautiful verse here when Jesus receives word, when, when there is Mary and receives word that Jesus loved Lazarus. And we have this the shortest verse in the, in the scriptures, right? Jesus wept. I love that picture. I had a young man who was part of my youth group in Seattle. Uh, his mother had died, being raised by a single father. Smart, creative. I still remember he, one, one day, the youth group, he wore a kilt. It's like, where'd you get that? Like, who wears a kilt to youth group? But he, he, was, he was really funny. And we talk about Jesus, and he believed that there was life in Jesus. He was sent away to study a, study another school, and he came back. And two weeks later, being back, I get a phone call late one night from his father, and his father told me, that his son committed suicide. And I just lost it. And as I was sitting there and receiving the news, um, he said, my son, listen to what you would say, Brian. And he wrote these words, I know that the pain in this world will go away because I'm promised life in Jesus after this world. I did the funeral. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do There was packed with high school kids everywhere. And I was thinking about that in this text because I wept and that Jesus wept. And there's, you see... Martha saying, if you had been here, and I said, Jesus, if I had been there and was able to talk this young man out, and we know in our culture today that suicide is on the rise, especially with our young generation. We live in a world where there is no hope, no hope offered. And we, who, who are the caretakers of that, who are the providers of hope, need to to be re-engaged with the hope of Christ. And so I look at this passage. And I say, in this passage, there were several clues that point to the life of Christ. The first is that, that John is queuing up the idea and the reality that that Jesus dies on our behalf. Jesus understands death. He knows what awaits him. He knows that death awaits him. He knows that as he called Lazarus out of that tomb, that, that he will be placed in a tomb. And that Jesus takes our place, that, that Jesus, the scripture says, who is the sinless one, the innocent one, dies for us, the ungodly, The sinful ones, that he takes our place. He dies our death. Leads me to the second point in that Jesus defeats the great enemy, which is death. Every world religion has to answer the question about death. And there's only one world religion. That speaks to the reality that God became man, came human, offered himself to die on the third day, was raised to life, and that death has been defeated, that Jesus defeated the greatest enemy that we will face, which is death. And we see this with Lazarus. He goes to the tomb and, and Martha's like, hey, wait a second, he's been there for a while. There's a huge odor and they roll the stone away and he calls him out by name. And when he comes out, right, it says a dead man comes out of the tomb. That there, everyone is around there. Everybody's been mourning the death of Lazarus and he comes out of this tomb. Jesus defeats the greatest enemy that we will face is death. It's death. And so we as Christians, as disciples of Christ, so the reason why our hope is, needs to be resilient and fearless is that we actually believe that death cannot touch us. Death has been defeated. We actually believe that there is victory over death. That Jesus hasn't come just to extend our life here on earth. He says, "You're going to have suffering, you're going to have trouble, you're going to have sorrow here on Earth, but let me keep your eyes affixed, that I have conquered, I have overcome this world, I have defeated the greatest enemy of this world, which is death. And that is our great hope. As Lazarus came out and people saw this, it was a precursor of what was going to happen to Jesus on the third day, when they went to the tomb that Martha and Mary got to the tomb, what happens? He is alive. that Jesus is alive. And so as Christians, we actually believe that Jesus didn't come just to take good people and to make them better. No, Jesus did not come just to give us a longer life here on this earth. He came to make dead people alive. He conquered death. That's why as those who, who believe in him, who, who, who follow him, who are being changed by him on mission with Christ, that's why we can have peace. That's why we have hope. That's why we can have security. Because our hope is not in this world, not of the people of this world, the things of this world. Our hope is in Christ. There's a part of the video that, that uh, uh, Joe shared. When I asked him, you know, what led you up to that point to start to study? He said, you know what? I was studying the scriptures. And I came to a point that I realized that what was keeping me from starting this small group was this, fear of others. I don't want people to laugh at me. I don't want people to look at me and say, oh, there's that crazy Christian. I was so afraid. I was so locked on one people's opinions, but I realized I have nothing to be afraid of because of the work of Christ. That death has been defeated There is victory in Christ. And as Christians, this is our hope. I I wrote it out there for you that we can live in the knowledge that our future is secure by God, that we are saved by God, by God's grace. And that's, I don't have to freak out. God's not freaking out. I don't have to freak out because God has this that through His Son, He's conquered death. And so my future is secure. I can endure suffering and trouble and hardship in this world because I know that I am secure in God. And that what God has promised, God is sure to fulfill. And that what God has said, God's going to do. And God's sent his own son, Christ, to die on the cross, raised on the third day. And that's what's going to happen to me and to all those who believe See, I believe that's the reality for anyone and everyone who believes in Christ. Anyone believes in Christ, they're given a new status. They're moved from people without hope to people with hope. They're, they're, they're moved from folks who, who are slaves to the sin of this world, then they're given a new status, which is sonship, be sons and daughters and heirs of the king. And that they don't have a... That they're, They're given a weak, they have a weak spirit, but then they're given this power the Holy Spirit. There's this transformation that actually happens. And Paul lays it out that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And when you begin to read the epistles of Paul, you can see how how the early church is just flourishing and they're suffering, but they have this resilient and fearless hope because they believe that, what, that this is not their home and that Jesus is coming back any moment and they live in a way that they're not afraid of others, not afraid of kings, not afraid of, of power, but because their life is grounded in a resilient and fearless hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we have in this passage is the ability to experience the resurrection here that Lazarus was able to experience right then. He's able to experience new life. We know he was dead. He was dead for four days, and now he's alive. Later on, when he dies, he will experience new life. But I love this passage in that that we can have, we can experience the fruits of the resurrection right now. Because when Lazarus came out, Jesus gives him another command. Do you see that in the passage? It says this. One translation says, I'm him. That he was all wrapped up. He, his face was covered with linens, right? His hands were tied. His feet were tied. So he was alive, but he couldn't move. And some of us are like that that we've experienced the resurrection of Christ, but we're still frozen in fear, we're frozen in insecurity, we're frozen in doubt, we're frozen with greed and lust, and we can go all, all down the road. And Jesus, not just saying, I've come to bring you new life, but I've come to offer you freedom right now, to unbind him. I think about that what is something dead in your life. Where you want Jesus to raise and bring new life. Could be your relationship. Could be your faith. Could be your marriage, could be your parenting with your kids, your grandkids. Jesus brings new life. He raises dead people to life and that we're free from any fear and that we don't have to be afraid of death. I've seen many people die. I've done many services. But we cannot be afraid of death. Death. We cannot be afraid of others because the Bible says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and that we can live at peace now. We can live with love and we can live without fear. And so I think about all of us right now as a church individually. How can we be that community of hope? How can we be people of resilient and fearless hope? What fears do we need to lay down today? And, and when I fear, am I, am I saying that, that the stone is still covering the tomb? That Jesus is still in the tomb? That, that when I am afraid and worries come knocking on my door, am I saying that, hey, that Jesus is still in the tomb? Maybe. That there's life right now that we can experience. And so, as Bailey and the band come forward, and there's this beautiful song, actually it's a hymn, called the hymn of heaven that they have, they have selected for us. It's a, Bailey will speak a little bit more about it. But as they sing this hymn over us, I I want you to think about, I want you to experience hope today. As you, he's calling your name out of the grave and giving you life. Let's pray. Lord, we... We need hope. But we don't need hope and hope. You're our hope and you're alive. And so will you bring life to us? Will you awaken life? Something dead in us, will you bring it to life? And as we await any moment of your return, will you, O Lord, put all the fears aside? That there is no fear, and perfect love, we have been completely and perfectly loved by you. And so, Lord, fix your eyes upon you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.